Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now it's time to listen to this week's message. Good morning, church. Everybody doing well? Good, good. If you didn't receive a message card when you came in, uh, if we have some available still remaining back there, you can raise your hand right quick, and one of our ushers will be glad to serve you uh, as we jump into a brand new series today. Everybody say, Tweets from Heaven. Really excited about this series. I got to tell you, as I was preparing this week, my intention and what I felt the Lord was leading me several weeks back was 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 3, and we're going to talk about the athlete, the soldier, and the farmer. And uh, as I was studying that, I spent... I think all day Tuesday studying it, and it just didn't fire. For those people that teach or preach in the room, uh, you know what that means. It just didn't fire. It was good. The Lord was teaching me, but then um, I came across this passage in Luke chapter 11, and uh, it just really, God, I just began to open my heart to preach this to you today. And so I want to share with you what God has put on my heart at a very, very famous passage in Scripture. Luke chapter 11, if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to read I'm reading from the New King James Version today, the New King James Version. Now, amen, amen, all right. This is here in this juncture of the text, one of the disciples come to Jesus and they asked him, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I think it's very interesting that they didn't have to be taught how to preach. They didn't have to be taught how to love. You would think the things that we think are very difficult to do. Prayer is probably the most difficult learned behavior. Prayer doesn't come natural, does it? Prayer is learned behavior. He says, teach us how to pray, Master. In other words, we've seen something out of your private prayer life, and we're now getting the understanding that what's happening in your ministry must be directly connected to your communion with the Father. Are you with me? They're starting to understand something's going on here. What's going on in in the life of Jesus? And so... Jesus then begins to open up and divulge these words. Verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased praying, they were watching him, is what the text implicitly is communicating to us. That one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John, John the Baptist, his his cousin, also taught his disciples. So he said to them, okay, you want to learn how to pray? When you pray, I want you to say these words. I want you to say these words. He said, our Father in heaven. Everybody say, our Father in heaven. Notice that. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That phrase right there is what I want to focus on today. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. These are words, by the way, church, that ought to frame our existence in time and space. On earth as it is in heaven. He goes on and says, give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to preach to you a message that I'm entitling today. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Now go to the last book of the Bible with me real quick. The last book of the Bible, book of Revelation. I told him in the early gathering, if you can't find it, it's good that you're in church today, all right? (laughs) Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, all right? We're going to read just a significant portion of the text. And so here's the deal. If you uh, haven't read your Bible this week, 
man, you can get it right now, all right? You're going to get it right now. It's a double bonus. Revelation chapter 21, begin with me in verse 1. John pens, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. Then I saw John, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Notice the language is he saw it coming down. He didn't see earth going up. He saw New Jerusalem coming down. He saw heaven invading earth, not earth going to heaven. Heaven was invading earth. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, that means look, look intently, hear, focus, contemplate. The tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Somebody say amen. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And perhaps one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, John, for these words are true and faithful. In other words, I'm about to give to you a picture of this new Jerusalem, heaven, what we term heaven. I want you to write it down, John. The reason I want you to write it down is because I want the church to peer and to contemplate and to think about these words for centuries. And he said to me, it is done. Don't you love that the first thing God says is not do. He said, it is done. Because the gospel ain't do, do, do. It's done, done, done. It's already been accomplished. He's already paid the price. It is done. I've brought forth my judgment, essentially, is what you're looking at. I am the Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Verse 7. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. Wow. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Is the second death. You say, Craig, what in the world is going on right there? Which should be noted at this juncture in reading that this verse does not mean that if you lied, you're going to hell. No, no, it means if you lied but you didn't trust Jesus to pay the penalty for your lies, then you're going to have to pay the price for your lies. But if you're in the room and you lied a hundred thousand times, times a hundred thousand times, times a million times, but you put your faith in Jesus to pay the penalty for your lies, you repent and put your faith in Jesus to pay the penalty for your wrongdoing, then you are going to spend eternity in heaven with God. Come on, somebody. Can I hear an amen? goes on verse 9 it gets good or gooder he goes on and he says then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me and saying come I will show you the bride the lamb's wife wow I'll show you the bride and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone. Everybody say precious stone. The light of heaven was like a precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Say clear as crystal. I love that. Clear as crystal. Also, she had great and high wall, or the Bible says, with 12 gates and 12 angels of the gates. And names were written on the gates, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Notice, he says there's three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. 
And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, to measure its gates, and to measure its wall. That's interesting. He had a, a measuring stick. The city is laid out as a square. That means its breadth as much as its height. Its length as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed. And the, the city was 12,000 furlongs. Your NIV translation may say 11,000 stadia. Same thing. 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. You say, Craig, what's going on? Well, when you look at this passage, these 12,000 furlongs equals 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles. The New Jerusalem, what we call heaven, is 1,500 miles wide and 1,500 miles tall. You say, Craig, that, let's put that. Well, it's square at the base. The Bible is very clear that New Jerusalem, if you make a 1,500 mile wide square or cube that goes 1,500 miles up in the air, then you have something that is larger than India with nearly 2 million square miles, New Jerusalem. 2 million square miles. The height is the same. Now, it goes beyond the earth's atmosphere. The only way I know how to do this, as I was studying this week, is to take something to give you kind of perspective. That's the globe. It's the earth we live in. If this were New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, this is a little bit of a rectangle, but it's the closest that I could make uh, or find. It's a uh, uh, imagine it's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles tall. It's going to, the coast to coast is, give or take, about 2,100 miles. You can get up to 2,800 miles if you go to the very top of Maine to the very bottom of San Diego. But this is New Jerusalem on the United States. Everybody see the United States? This is New Jerusalem. Talking about 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles tall. Now, that's pretty amazing. That 1,500 miles tall actually goes beyond Earth's atmosphere. If you were to put this into a story building, the best way I know how to give that, a 12-foot story building. Let's say every floor is just a measly 12 feet. That's a 600,000-story building. Y'all like thinking about this stuff? I do. I think about it all day. I mean, this is just, that's all I do. I mean, this is just... I mean, my mind just raptured up this creativity of the beauty of, of what the Scripture tells for us. And God is telling John, write it down. Put it on paper. 12,000 uh, 12, furlongs is about 1,500 miles. Now, 600,000 story building. What does that mean? Let's continue on. He goes on in verse 17. And he says, then he measured its wall 144 cubits according to the measure of a man. That is of an angel. What does that mean, Pastor Craig? I'm not entirely sure. Let's keep going. <laughs> what it means is that wall is about 200 feet tall. So you got a building that goes 1,500 miles high. But you got around, around the city. The city is 1,500 miles high. you got a wall that's about 200 feet high and about 200 feet wide. That's what most commentators have agreed on. Verse 18. He goes on and he says, the construction, this is amazing, of the wall was of jasper. And the city was pure gold. Everybody say pure gold. Now notice, in being pure gold, it was like glass. I love that. The city was like clear glass. That's what he says. He goes on and says, verse 19, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. Everybody say precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third is there for your reading, the fourth was emerald, the fifth is there for your reading, the sixth the same, the seventh the same, and the eighth. The ninth was topaz, and the tenth, yep, you just take a stab at it, the eleventh as well, and the twelfth was amethyst. Come on, somebody. I know how to read them, I just wanted to engage you. I can pronounce those, but notice 
each of those being precious stones. Amazing. He tells us, and go on in verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. All gates of one pearl. And the street of the city, whoa, heaven's got streets? Yep. You do the math. Why would heaven need streets if we're all just going to float around on clouds? We aren't just going to float around on clouds. The streets of the city were pure gold, and they were like transparent glass. Pretty amazing. Like transparent glass. Go on to verse 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. And the Lamb is its light. My God, I love that right there. The Lamb is its light. That will preach, folks. If you're a preacher, I told them that's like putting a chubby kid in a candy store. The Lord and the Lamb is its light. The Lamb is its light. He goes on and says, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into that city. And its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night, by the way, there. And they shall bring, it's like perpetually in the northernest most part of Alaska in the summer. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall be by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Woo! Somebody say, hallelujah. Well, I do drugs when you can do Revelation 21. You know what I'm saying? Woo! Amazing, amazing. Let's pray right briefly. Father, I thank you for your grace. Just in the moments we have, and pray in the moments we share together, that your scripture would come alive to us. And that, that, God, the goal of reading the scripture today would not just be comprehension, but it would be allowing your text, the Bible, to create space for us to encounter you. I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Now, does anybody in here have kids? Come on, show me, show me those who've got kids. That's right. I got to tell you, you and I are in it together, baby. We're in it together, right? See, I didn't have kids, and then I had kids. That's how it works, right? Okay, you don't have them, then you had them. And uh, I tell you, this parenting, it's a journey, isn't it? Boy, it's very revealing, right? I used to wonder when I was 16 years old why um, there were certain animals in the animal kingdom where the adults would eat their babies. I used to wonder why. And now it's all clear to me why, why some animal parent, adult parents eat their babies. I get it very clearly, right? I mean, I love my kids, but sometimes I want to eat them. Sometimes I'd like to just put them on a platter, if you know what I'm saying, right? I mean... This, this parenting thing, it's not easy, right? It's a journey. And let me tell you something. This parenting thing, I ain't even got teenagers yet. It's already revealing as a person, right? Like, I remember before I was a dad, it was all the plans I had, you know? You know, all the plans. It's funny to think about all the plans I had as a dad, you know? And they lasted for, like, one kid, but they didn't really make it to kid two, and they certainly didn't make it to kid three. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, I'm amazing. Like, I had all these plans as a parent. Like, you know, I had these plans, like, I was going to read to my son every night. Like, we're going to read books at night. And now it's like, go to sleep. <laughs> Jesus loves you. <laughs> Bible said so. Amen. Get out of my room. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, 
Used to be like 45 minutes, petting them. You know, it's like, come on, parents, y'all know what I'm talking about? It's like 745, you're like 15 minutes. 15 minutes, come on. Come on, bedtime is 8 p.m. How many of y'all know bedtime is the best time of the day? Right now, my favorite time of the day is 8 o'clock. I ain't talking about 8 o'clock a.m., I'm talking about 8 o'clock p.m. It's like the first time I see my wife all day, you know what I'm saying? It's like, woo, yeah, baby, the kids are in bed. Like last night, Marley went with a, a cousin to the Braves game, and I was in the kitchen doing some, making some food, and Mary was in the living room. She's like, it is so quiet without Marley here. And I'm like, yeah, send her to the Braves game every night, you know. I'm just kidding, you know, I really love my kids, but I do want to eat them sometimes. Um, but, but, you know, this parenting thing's hard. And so, and so Marley right now, she's having a hard time with this thing called stewardship. Really hard time. Really, really hard time. She, her brother's like, live by the rules, go by the book. And she, yesterday, gets a chocolate-covered peanut and decides that she doesn't want it, so she puts it in the cup holder. You can't put chocolate peanuts in the cup holder when it's 99 degrees outside. You know what I'm saying? And so I see it. I'm like, Marley, how many times do I have to tell you you don't destroy the things that God gives us? We have to take care of things. It costs money. I'm trying to get them to understand money now. And uh, it wasn't 30 minutes later, y'all. We leave a store... And I drive down the road. I no more got on the 575 and Knox, who always tells. Isn't it funny how that Bubba always tell? And Knox is like, Marley just threw her gum on the carpet. Oh, my God. My temperature went out the top. And I'm like, Marley, I'm about to pull over this car and hammer your bottom. Right? I pulled over to the side of the road. And I walked around again. I'm trying to catch my cool. I'm like, Marley, how many times do I have to tell you? How many times, Marley, do I have to tell you? I get back in the car. I, we have our conversation. We start driving down the road. And I'm trying to be serious, right? And Marley's like, Dad, why'd you say you're going to get out a hammer? <laughs> I look over my wife, my side of my eye. I'm like, oh, my God, just keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together. How many of y'all know those parents, those moments as parents? Like, keep it together. Don't laugh right now. But Marley, she's having a hard time. I put her to bed last night. I walk outside the door. And, uh, and she's still got her markers all over the house, right? Just trying to teach this girl, come on, you got to be a better steward. So I just told her the other day, I said, Marley, we've been having a little bit of a rough stretch here. Okay, Attitude's been a little aligned. We're learning stewardship. You need to tell me how you're going to best respond to me. Don't give me these and do not cut your eyes at me. So you need to tell me. And she said, uh, I said, do you want to have a conversation? Like, let's create a conversation. She said, yeah, we need to talk. I said, okay, so anytime I feel like you're out of alignment, we're going to sit down and talk, okay? And we're going to have a motto. You're Marley Mossgrove, and you take care of things. I know you do. The Marley I know, she doesn't ride on walls. She didn't throw chocolate peanuts in the car. She didn't throw gum. Marley I know doesn't do that. And so, that cool? And so now we have conversation. Yesterday, or two days ago, I said, Marley, you need to come over here. It's time to have a conversation. <laughs> let's, let's have another conversation. The other day, she came to me and she said, Dad, I think we need to talk again. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, that's right, girl. You're getting it. You're getting it. But we have this motto, which, which led me to start asking the question this week. What if the Christian had a motto? Like, if you could extrapolate from Scripture one motto. Like, when we say we're Christians, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? What would the motto be, right? Like, what would that look like? I think, and I would propose to you today, that this might be the motto. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are you saying, Craig? Yeah, yeah. That kind of sums up who we are, does it not? 
What we're about, it sums up who we're about. We're not about ourselves. It sums up our mission. It sums up who it's all about. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about a king. He is a king. He has a kingdom. Heaven is invading earth. We are his people facilitating heaven to earth. The Christian motto would be, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, like, I love the Bible. Any Bible lovers in here? And I'm not trying to be heretical, but you know how in our day, when you write a book now, you give a subtitle. The subtitle is a better descriptor of the title. So if the Bible had a subtitle, which it doesn't need because God wrote it, and that's good enough. But if I could add a subtitle, it would be on earth as it is in heaven. Genesis 1-1, all the way to the book of Revelation, is on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, folks. Heaven's a major, major theme in Scripture, is it not? It's a huge theme in Scripture. Just for starters, heaven is a long time. I put a lot of study into this message this week. All right? Heaven's a long time. Can't you tell? It's a long time. Like eternity is eternal. Told you I studied a lot. Eternity is eternal. Heaven is a long time. Right? On earth as it is in heaven. That should frame our existence. Jesus said when you pray, I want you to ask that your life would facilitate heaven to earth. In other words, watch this. I want you to live like you're living in heaven. Let me say it way. Uh, another way. Live like it is in heaven. Now, folks, that's a big statement. That is a magnanimous statement. Live like it is in heaven? What are you saying? Jesus said, yeah, when you pray, here's how I want you guys to start. I want you guys to start this way. Our Father who is in heaven. In other words, heaven is the major theme of approaching God. You can't even approach God without first addressing God and where God lives or inhabits, which is all things, and he is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. I want you to think about it. I want you to think about it. When you come to the Lord in prayer, I want you to think about it. He's in heaven. He's there. I'm not. I want you to think that he feels all things. He is sovereign. He's in control. That God is in heaven. And then I want you to ask him by his grace to allow to leak a little bit of heaven through you into this world. That's what he's saying. I want you to live as it is in heaven. Well, the million-dollar question today becomes, it's begging to be asked, right, is what is heaven like? What is heaven like? For many of us, let's just be honest, heaven is no more than a Huggies commercial with chubby babies and underwear plucking harps on fluffy clouds, right? And that's what we see is heaven. Like, let's be honest. It's a bit random, is it not? Heaven, it's a bit mysterious. It's a bit abstract, you know? It's not just a church service, by the way. For those people in the room that grew up in church, you know, you, you were in those church services like five hours long. You were laid out on the pew, and the preacher would get up and say, if you don't like this service, you definitely aren't going to like heaven. And we scarred a whole generation of kids from wanting to go to heaven with that, right? Like, uh, is there any AC in hell? Is there any other options here, God? You know, it's like, it's so much more than just a church service. Heaven is not just a church service. Heaven is not just singing. It is a concert, but it's so much more than a concert. It's not just us coming to God and singing all the time. That's not what heaven is. What is heaven like? Well, Revelation 21 and 22 are the most picturesque, most descriptive passages in all of the Bible describing for us what we term heaven. Now, you got to understand something, church. When John is talking about heaven here, he's talking about uh, explaining the post-resurrection in the new age. Where there is a new heaven and a new earth. You need to understand this. For so long, we have structured or framed our conversation about the afterlife in three words. We talk about heaven, we talk about earth, 
and we talk about hell. Hell was created for Satan and his fallen angels. And most of our lives, we spend talking about how we want to escape this earth and go to heaven. In fact, that's how we frame our evangelism. Knock on the door. Hey, sir, if you were to die today, would you spend eternity in heaven or hell? Problem is, you can't find scriptures that support us framing heaven by just leaving earth to one day go to heaven. That's not what the scriptures talk about. That's not even how evangelism's framed. What do you mean, Craig? No, no, no. He's talking about in the future when there's a new heaven and new earth. That means heaven and earth collide. They come together. Heaven actually invades earth and restores everything. So think of it in this way. When you're talking about heaven is far more earthy. I read a commentator this week. He said heaven is far more earthy than we realize. What do you mean? Oh, yeah, just think about it for a minute. When Jesus died on the cross, it inaugurated this kingdom, started this kingdom. He paid the penalty for sin. But you know what happened after three days? Jesus, our Savior, was resurrected. When he was resurrected, he received a glorified body, which is the first fruits of resurrection. That's what the Bible says, that Jesus is the first fruits of resurrection. Now, from this point forward, all of history is moving till the end resurrection of all things where God doesn't just resurrect our bodies to give us resurrected bodies. He resurrects or restores all things. Black holes, the galaxies, earth. Romans 8, the whole creation is subject to frustration because mankind sinned. What is creation doing? It's groaning. Why? Because it wants redemption. So Jesus didn't just provide redemption for humanity. He did for the whole earth. A new heavens and a new earth. So catch this. The day that Jesus was resurrected, guess what happened? Heaven started moving closer to earth. And every moment, heaven's getting closer to earth. But here's this, the converse is true. Hell did as well. So what happens is we always talk about heaven and we always talk about leaving earth. Like we're, we're trying to evade this world. No, no, no. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom is heaven invading earth. That's why we talk about Jesus' ascension. Jesus' ascension is not escape, it's enthronement. It's not Jesus escaping this earth, it's Jesus becoming the enthroned king over all of this. He fills all things. And one day when he resurrects everything and restores all things, including earth, then what happens is he fills everything. Come on, somebody. Jesus planet purchased it. In fact, this planet will go back to its future. We'll go back to the future. Why? Because we... The planet will be completely restored. We don't, have, we don't talk about this. Like, how many outdoorsmen in the room? You love, you love the outdoors? I love the outdoors. Like, you like hiking? You think you go hiking now and it's good? We can't even begin to comprehend how hiking will be in a new heaven and new earth. Are you serious? Think about it. The grandeur and the splendor and the glory. Like, think about it just for a few moments. Amazing. Heaven invades earth. But see, what happens is, church, look. When the church, I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ, when we became like the chaplain for the American empire, you know what happened in that moment? We became like the chaplain. What happens is that Jesus in that moment was demoted to become the secretary of afterfare or afterlife affairs. And he's not just being the secretary of afterlife affairs. He wants to be king right now. His kingdom is breaking in now. So another way you could say that is think about it in these terms. In Eden, when way back here in Eden, you know what happens in Eden? Humans in Eden are able 
not to sin. Adam and Eve had the opportunity not to sin. What happens after we fail? Now we're in Adam. What happens in Adam? We're not able to not sin. It's like sin is a blood disease passed down. We're not able to not sin. But how many of you all know and how many people in the room are in Christ now? Come on, how many people in Christ? You know what that means? We're able not to sin. Did you know that? You don't have to give yourself permission to to sin. But you know what happens in heaven? In heaven, it's altogether different. You're not able to sin. Did you check this? So in Eden, you're able not to sin. But they made the choice to sin out of their free will. In Adam, you're not able to not sin. You are given to sin. You're given to desires. In Christ, you're able, what? Not to sin. But in heaven, you're not even able to sin. You're perfected. Now, if that doesn't give you heart and desire to purify yourself right now, what is 1 John chapter 3? He who has this hope, what, purifies himself right now. If there's anything that's ever motivated my holiness, it's to think that one day I'll be with Jesus in heaven. He says, if you think about those things, you will be purified. Now, think about this for a minute. This heaven is far more earthy than we realize. What do you mean, Craig? Yeah, think about Jesus' resurrected body. He resurrected. He was the first fruits of resurrection. How many of y'all know him in that text in John where he ate broiled fish? And the Bible says, and honeycomb. How many of y'all like that? Come on, somebody. Dessert. In heaven, we can eat some honeycomb and some fish. Both. The resurrected body. Remember when Jesus came forth, they thought he was the gardener, but then they realized it was him. So he was the same, but different. He was different, but the same. So when we talk about heaven, we're talking about terms that are way more earthy than we realize. In fact, there will be eating there. Anybody like good food? There'll be good food in heaven. Probably the opportunity to prepare some food. Now, for some of us in the room, if we had the opportunity to prepare food, that would be our hell, okay? But some of the others, if, you, if, you, if that's heaven for you, then, then there's probably an opportunity to create food. Take the best food you've ever had on this planet and multiply it by 500 million times, and that's what it's going to be like eating in New Jerusalem. Craig, can we recognize one another? Yeah, of course we can recognize one another. We will be known as we're known. You know what that means? There will be relationships in heaven. There will be the development of relationships in heaven. Development. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about this week that would be so awesome, um, and it was spurred by Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven. He does a whole chapter in here about just relationships. And I came across something in this book, which is a fabulous book, by the way, if you're looking for reading material. I came across something in this book where he said, again, think about the martyrs in Revelation 5 where they gather together. All the martyrs in all of Christendom have never, some of them have never met each other, but in heaven they'll get to talk. You know what I look forward to do? I look forward to talking to some of the angels that saved me from, from, from car wrecks. you got to let your creativity run for a minute. The imagination. Think about this. He says, you think on such things. Not earthly things, but heavenly things. There's going to be development of relationships. There's going to be a grand sense of unity with all the nations together. How cool would it be that every nation is going to be together and we're going to be just talking all the time? It's like a dinner party. You ever had that time when you had dinner party with people that just make you relax and you eat good food and you just sit back and it's like you forget the time? That's what's going to be in heaven. You forget the time because you got all eternity. Just to hang out at a dinner party. Just to talk to people. Just to connect with people. Heaven meets earth and God feels it. And God tells John, write it down. In other words, I want my children to think about it. Everybody say city. city. 
is literal city in heaven. It's called the New Jerusalem. That's why we talk or term heaven. There's a city. By the way, the city has streets. Why would there be streets if we're all going to float? No, no, no. Why is there streets? You do the math. You know, we talk to these big burly men. It's like when you get to heaven, you're going to have to give up working on cars and you're going to have to pluck harps. Why would I want to do that? That doesn't seem like heaven to me. Well, why are there streets? You do the math. Why are there streets if we're just floating? That's not the case. And John, John describes the city he sees, and it's extraordinary because it's made up of treasures from this world. Precious jewels. Everybody say precious jewels. In fact, precious jewels so exotic, we cannot even pronounce some of them. There's jasper and gold. and But I want to draw your attention to the nature of these elements, right? The, the nature of these elements are amazing. Look at them. The whole city is as clear as glass. The entire city like glass. It says the street, which is gold. I've never seen gold like this before. It's clear and transparent. Anybody seen clear gold before? Anybody seen transparent gold before? Mm -mm. He goes on in Revelation 22 and verse 1. He says there's a river. I like rivers. Anybody like swimming in rivers? That's cool. You get to do that for all eternity if you want to. You pick, choose that. He says there's a river coming from the throne of God. And in this river, look at verse 1. The river comes and it too. Come on, help me, folks. The river is transparent. The river is transparent. It's as, it's as clear as crystal. Clear as glass. I've seen a lot of rivers in my time. But I've never seen a transparent river. Anybody else? Revelation 4, 6 says there's a sea and it's like glass before his throne. What in the world is going on, church? What's the point of all the precious jewels from this world being in that city? Hmm. I wonder if we'll listen closely if Jasper would preach a sermon to us. I wonder if we'll listen closely. Gold might tell us something about God, but we got to listen closely. It's as if the gold is telling us eternity dwelling place is not about my glory. For what you counted costly on earth, which was me, and what you coveted on earth, which is me, what you considered treasure on earth, which is me. No, no, no. In heaven there is a true treasure, and that is not me. A true treasure that is so magnificent, so glorious, and so radiant, and so indescribable, so indescribable that literally it renders jasper to drywall. This true treasure in heaven, it renders gold to pavement. This true treasure in heaven, it renders precious jewel to concrete because there is a true treasure in this new city a true treasure oh you thought gold was treasurous here no it's just clear transparent there Woo! I'm going to preach this for a minute if you'll get to stick with me. It's as if the gold realizes it's not about me. It's not about my honor. It's not about my brilliance. It's not about my glory. I am only a means to the true treasure. I am a facilitator to the true treasure. That's all I am. All I am as a created thing is something that's to facilitate to the one who created me. And one of the reasons I believe, among other reasons, that the city we live in will be clear and transparent and the streets that we drive down will be clear and transparent parent and the rivers that we we swim in will be as clear as glass and the 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 the, the, the lakes or the seas that we frolic in will be clear like glass is because all of these are to facilitate the luminous radiant glory of God he's the true treasure what's what's my point on earth as it is in heaven 
while I'm waiting, I'm not waiting. Because I know that heaven lives in me. On earth as it is in heaven. So I'll sing like a man with no sickness in my body. Woo! <laughs> Y'all with me this morning, church? On earth as it is in heaven. Well, well, well how is heaven, Craig? Oh, it's easy, simple. It's all about him. It's all about him. In other words, enjoy the river. Anybody like rivers? God says enjoy the river, but you better keep it clear. Come on, somebody. Uh, you like gold? Enjoy the gold. Enjoy the house. Enjoy the blessings, but you better see right through them to the real treasure. Don't get your eyes focused on the gold. Oh, oh you like this? You, you, you enjoy the seas. Listen, folks, there will be a redeemed, glorified Caribbean Sea, Cayman Islands in heaven. God restores the whole planet, new heavens and new earth. I'm going to be swimming with some stingrays, bro, in some crystal clear water. You know what I'm saying? Think about this. Enjoy the seas, but you better keep them clear. Because there's a true treasure. Woo. And then John writes this in Revelation 22, verse 1 through 4, with a lot of fear and trepidation. This is where he gets. He, he writes verse 1. Look what he says. He says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, as clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side was the river, the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits. Notice that. Which bore 12 fruits. And notice each yield, each a tree yield its fruit in every month. And the leaves of the tree were the healing for the healing of nations. Folks, this is leaves, trees, and fruit like we've never seen. Come on. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in. And his servants shall what? Serve him. That means we got some work to do. We will be serving. Will we be floating on clouds? No. In fact, we will have purpose in heaven. We'll have more purpose in heaven than we have on earth. Yeah. It's a literal city, folks. Think about what it takes to make a city work and function. Now think about the holy city. We're going to be doing work. You say, Craig, what will I be doing? Here it is. What you were originally intended and created to do, my God. Ooh, can you imagine the fulfillment every day? The very thing that Jesus Christ made you to do. And every day you just get to do it with full fulfillment. Not your dead nine to five that you call nine to five. No, no. You're going to be working with your hands. You're going to serve the king. You're going to serve the master with utter fulfillment. Yeah, of course. We mirror God. We'll be serving. We'll be serving. He goes on. He says, they shall see. Oh, let me skip verse 4 and come back to that in just a minute. Verse 5. And there shall be no light there. Why? No night there. They need no lamp, nor the light of the sun, he says. They don't need it. For the Lord God. What is it? The Lord God is in the midst. He gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Somebody say Amen. We're going to have roles and projects in heaven. They're going to be satisfying. People say, is there music in heaven? Well, according to the book of Revelation, yes. So if there's music in heaven, that means the art's got to be in heaven. So if you like art, that'd be cool because you, you can paint. I mean, you'd be a bad painter in heaven. You know what I'm saying? Leonardo da Vinci, Mona Lisa in like three seconds flat. Like you like architecture? Awesome. Oh, you like, you like writing lyrics, songs? Oh, yeah, you'll do that for eternity. I studied this this week, I, I on many occasions stepped back from my desk and I sat on the couch behind it and I'm just, man, you get enraptured in this stuff. Wow. 
Jesus will reign forever. I was in Los Angeles a couple weeks ago with the team at Griffith Observatory, and me being the science nerd that I am, come on, nerds unite. <laughs> Tim, I got you, brother. Nerds unite. I'm with you, brother. I'm there, and I'm, I'm looking, and, you know, of course, we're just the one part in the cul-de-sac of the Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy is just one little small sliver in the galaxy, in the cosmos, the grand cosmos. People always ask the question, why did God make other planets and galaxies? I don't know. Maybe this is beyond your creative thought, but I don't know. Maybe he has plans for us to play on some planets one time a trillion years from now. Well, that would be fun. <laughs> Won't that be awesome? What does that do to you? It causes you to purify yourself now, doesn't it? <laughs> you see what it's doing? You see what it does? See how it motivates holiness right now? See how it motivates living for the king right now? We will have, by the way, forever to be personal with the king. It will never be again like God says, hey, we got 20 minutes. No. He's like, hey, we got eternity. <laughs> Every one of us. Like, how about a vacation to the Rocky Mountains with you and God? Come on. And it's not just one week. It's eternity. Imagine walking up the Rocky. I'm a, I'm a, I may climb Everest with God. I don't know. I mean, think about that. Amazing thought. Forever communion with the Lord for eternity. But you say, Craig, what's the apex? All that stuff is good. What's the zenith, though? What is heaven really all about? What's the essence of heaven? What at the end of the day, what is it really all about? Come on, Casey. What's it about? Well, John tells us in verse 4, and this is enormous. This is magnanimous. This is, he says something that's completely unable and not possible on this planet right now in time and space. This is catastrophic in nature. This is what he says in verse 4. Now notice this. This is the zenith, folks. This is the apex of all of heaven. What are we looking forward to in New Jerusalem? What are we looking forward to in the future? The Bible says in verse 4, they shall see his face, the Bible says, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Did you hear that? They will see his face. They won't see a cloak of his face. No, no, no. Mankind for the first time will behold the creator God in all of his brilliance and all of his glory and all of his splendor. We will see the face of God. Moses saw his glowing backslide or backside on the cleft rock and he glued like a, like a glow stick for days and hours. And he says, no, no, no. You're actually going to see his face. And the Bible says that the light that comes from his face will fill forever. Did you hear me? It will fill eternity. His face produces enough light to fill all of the galaxies. His face produces enough light to fill all of eternity. Forever. Think about that. No darkness because of the brilliance that comes from his face. I can promise you this church. You listen to me. When we lay eyes on his face, we will wonder to ourselves if we ever really live before we saw it. What was I doing for all those years? When we finally see his face. The joy. The sheer ecstasy. The exhilaration we experience upon gazing at his face. All other joys in eternity are compared to that moment. Everything else in heaven is compared to that joy. 
You can mount up, listen to me, church. You mount up and throw in a big bowl, mix it together, all the exhilarating, all the beyond explanation, all the crazy miracles, all the physical, emotional, mental euphoria that you've ever had on this planet. You can multiply it by a hundred million, and it won't even begin to scratch the surface of the lightning that will pulsate through the top of your glorified head to the bottom of your glorified toes when you look eyes on Jesus for the first time. Woo! Can you imagine? All of our lives is to be lived in anticipation for that moment. It's about Him. Jesus said in His great high priestly prayer, John 17, He said, to know God is to this is eternal life to know God in the Son whom He sent. What's He saying? Because for all of eternity, the knowledge of Him will unfold without end. <laughs> oh my God! You ever, you ever, you ever had that joy and thrill of learning something new, seeing something you never saw? You, you, you read something in the Bible that you've read before, but you've never read it before, and you tweet it, and Instagram it, Snapchat it, send it out to everybody you know because you saw it and it floors you, and everybody else reads it, and they. They don't get the revelation you got, so they just keep on scrolling through. But you're like, <gasps> so here's what you'll do for all eternity. Because <gasps> his face just continually unfolds. <gasps> for eternity. It just keeps unfolding. The knowledge of him. It's so hard to describe, isn't it? Folks, I feel like a I don't know, I feel like so much injustice trying to do this message today. I'm finishing. I feel like it's so injustice because the Bible says that it's not, no ear has heard, no eye has seen, nor has it entered into the hearts of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. So we can't get really far today. Did you know that? If we preached on heaven for the next 80 years and all of you live for 80 more years, did you know that we won't get really far? Because no eye has seen and no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of man the things that God really has prepared for us. Jesus begins to connect the treasure in heaven on the Sermon on the Mount to this treasure in life and look with me at just this passage with me real quick Matthew 6, 19 and 20 he goes on and he says do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth everybody say treasures and then he gives three bombastic metaphors where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal but then Jesus does something he never does in his teaching you study this out he gives the exact converse and he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth or rust can't destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. What's he saying? He's saying that you begin to turn your attention on heaven so you can define earthly treasures in light of heaven. When your attention goes on heaven, then you begin to define what you see on earth in light of heaven. And he goes on to verse 21. And we always use this at the offering, but this is a heaven verse. Heavenly implications. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's he saying? He's trying to turn our attention to heaven. This life, friend, is but for a moment, y'all. It is here one day and gone the next. It is a vapor. Friend, no matter what I face this side of heaven, no matter what difficulties I'm going to come across this side of heaven, no matter what challenges I face in my body this side of heaven, I'm going to tell you I'll be all right because one day I'm going to enter into eternity and I'll see his face and it will be forever. I'll see his face forever. While we're on the topic, 
So even if my situation doesn't change, even if I don't get the breakthrough I want, even if God doesn't change it the way I want it to be changed, even if I don't receive, even if it don't work out the way I want it to work out, yeah, you can contend for it, but let us hold on to the hope of heaven, church. We will one day see his face. Jesus, so he talks about heaven. He talks about treasure. Now notice this. He then shifts our attention to our eyes. Everybody say eyes. That makes no sense at, at, a, at an initial glance. What are you doing, Jesus? Oh, it makes perfect sense. Notice what he says. Let me talk about your eyes a minute, disciples. The lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is good, everybody say good. Your whole body will be filled with light. Good is not good in the sense that we define good. You know what good is? It means clear and singular. In other words, clear and single. What's he saying? If your eye stays clear and single, your whole body will be full of light. Your body is a microcosm of New Jerusalem. The stones were clear and single, so they were full of his light. Your eye is to be clear and single, so your body will be full of. Are you seeing this? Your body is a microcosm of where you're going to spend eternity. That's why you've been created in true righteousness and holiness and truth. Your eye is single. See, every time we read this verse, we always say, like, don't look at pornography. Which is a good explanation or application, we should say. But it's not what Jesus is entirely saying. He's not saying don't look at pornography. He's saying if your eye is single, single, looking one direction, your whole body will be full of light. It's going to be full of light. That's full of His radiance, His glory. In other words, our bodies are to operate on this planet like heaven on earth as it is in Jesus says in heaven you can see through the most costly things and see who? Me. What are you saying? Jesus is saying just stay focused on me church. The next verse says if your eye is bad. You know what bad means? Bad doesn't mean bad the way we define bad. Your whole body be full of darkness. Bad means a multiplicity of directions. If your eye is looking in a multiplicity of directions and not singularly focused, then your whole body is full of darkness. And if therefore that light is you as darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, they're deceived. They're thinking that they're light. But he says, no, no, no. This is a picture of the law. Think about it. This is a picture of indicative of grace in the law because the law causes you to look in a multiplicity of places to ensure that you resume and your resume is up to snuff, that you can stand up before God. Now he says, no, no, this is darkness. You're living in an old covenant. You're living in an old area. You're living in an old dispensation. The old covenant as they're taking personal inventory of themselves rather than obsessing over Jesus. He says, don't look in all the directions. Look in one direction. And then he goes on in Matthew 6, And he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things. He adds the caveat. All these other things will be added to you. That's easy. By the way, I'll give you all those. You need some pavement? Yeah, I'll give you some pavement. You need some gold? Yeah, I can give you some gold. You need some drywall? Awesome. I'll give you some drywall. You need some tile for your bathroom? I'll give you some tile for your bathroom. But don't focus on those things. Just look at me. That's what he's saying. Look at me. Keep your eyes focused on me. Notice he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everybody say his righteousness. He didn't say not, he didn't say your righteousness. He said his righteousness. Matthew 5 20, Jesus said, Your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Craig, what was wrong with the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? It was theirs. 
Listen to me. As a believer, my life is no longer connected to my righteousness. I no longer live in proximity to my righteousness. His righteousness is now my righteousness. And my focus is on the gift that he has granted me according to faith in him. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for me that I and you might become the righteousness of God in him. So when God sees me, who does he see? Jesus. Let me tell you something about Jesus and the Father. You ready? Jesus and the Father aren't growing apart. They are by nature intrinsically connected. And so it is with me. We ain't growing apart either. His promise. His faithfulness. Have you ever wondered, Galatians 5 teaches what many call the fruits of the Spirit. But there's an observation I want to give you here. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Everybody say fruit. It's the singular fruit. There's no plural in Scripture. The only plural in Galatians chapter 5 is works. So it's fruit of the Spirit, but works of the body. What are you saying, Craig? Yeah. Works are plural because works are excessive. Works are complex. Works are exhausting. But the fruit, singular, Rabbis actually believe, you read this text, it's the fruit of the Spirit, there's no plural here. Rabbis believe that the whole fruit of the Spirit could be summed up in one word, love. So it's almost as if there's one fruit and nine flavors. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and self-control. So one fruit, nine flavors. But notice it's not called, Greg, the fruits of devotion. Have you ever thought about this? It's not called the fruits of discipline. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. What in the world does that mean? That means hmm, they're not fruit of discipline. They're not fruit of devotion. That means this fruit is not ultimately up to me. It actually comes down to my willingness to lay myself down and to get over my excessive obsession with my own works and deeds and lay that down and my inabilities or abilities and simply accept and receive according to grace and faith what he has offered already to me. It's the fruit because there's only one source. One focus, his name is Jesus. Can I push you a little bit further? Some of you obsessing over faithfulness, you do better to obsess over Jesus. Some of you obsessing over long-suffering, you do better to obsess over Jesus. You talk to people, I mean, I talk to people in pastoral ministry on many occasions. And they're like, Pastor Craig, I'm going to get more self-control this year. I'm focusing on self-control. I'm like, wait a minute. You're going to get more self-control by trying to focus on self-control? You know what you've done? You've essentially rendered the grace and new covenant to works. Yeah, you might as well go to a motivational speaker. If you're going to try to focus more on self-control, then you ain't going to get self-control by focusing on self-control. You're rendering God's grace powerless. What do you mean, Craig? Here's the catch. You focus on Jesus, you get all nine. Hello. All of them. All flavors. Is gold bad? No. God made the streets of gold. Gold's not bad, but you better keep it clear. Is prayer bad? Is prayer bad in the church? Nope, but you better keep it clear. 
How many of y'all been in churches before where prayer becomes the focus and now the focus is on prayer and not the one that we're praying to? Come on, anybody ever been there before? You better keep the prayer clear. Is preaching bad? No, preaching's good. Saves men. But I better keep it clear. It better stay clear. It's transparent to radiate His luminous glory. You better keep it clear. Jesus is everything I know. Listen, folks, I'm not the brightest person. I'll admit, but one thing I can do is I can focus my emotions, my attention, and my passion on one person, and His name is Jesus. And in Him is everything I need pertaining to life and godliness. I'm going to be all right. He ends in Hebrews 12. Look what he says. This great passage, I end with it. He says, therefore, let us, since we're surrounded by this witnesses, let us say, lay aside the weights and the sin, and let us run with endurance. Everybody look at verse 2 and read it with me. Ready? Looking unto what? Come on, say it again. You need to say it get it in your soul. You know what looking unto Jesus means right there in the Greek? It means having eyes only for Jesus. Listen, folks, I as a pastor need you. You need me, don't we? We need faithfulness, yep. We need self-control. But we better keep it clear. My eyes are not to be on anything but Jesus. Having eyes only for. So in your life right now, do you have eyes only for Jesus? Or has things gotten a little misty? What does John the Baptist say when he sees his cousin? I'm of the same DNA as you, Jesus. You and I cousins. No. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You and I can live on that line for the rest of our lives. Every season. Behold, the Lamb of God. Life tough? Behold, the Lamb of God. Life going good? Behold the Lamb of God. Life a little challenging? Behold the Lamb of God. What if we spent the rest of our lives, church, beholding the Lamb of God? Having eyes only for Jesus. Friends, have things gotten a little cloudy for you? Has it gotten a little misty? Anybody need any divine defrost? Again, thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at www.dwellingplacemovement.org.